What did Jesus teach? Mark has emphasized that Jesus did not come to be a healer or a bread king, but rather a teacher. Last week, Mark quoted Jesus when everyone was looking for him because of the miracles, saying, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come, to preach and to teach. Mark often says, Jesus preached the word. But Mark doesn't often give us the actual words that Jesus taught. Mark sort of expects us to figure it out. Or maybe Mark shows us what Jesus taught. We have a great example of that in the verses this week, in the calling of Levi, or as we know him better, of Matthew. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful God, you never despise what you have made, and always forgive those who turn to you. Create in us such new and contrite hearts that we may truly repent of our sins and obtain your full and gracious pardon. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Some in the crowd must have wondered, what will Jesus say to this despicable tax collector? Tax collectors in Jesus' day were hated. The Jewish nation, you remember, was occupied by Rome. And the way Rome worked their tax system was that they would award the contract to collect the taxes taxes to one of the locals, to the highest bidder. The local person then charged his countrymen enough to pay Rome and to make a comfortable living himself. The Roman soldiers provided the muscle. Does that sound like treason? Yep. Does it sound like extortion? Yep, that too. It worked like this. You went to the market with 10 chickens. If you got a good price, you could feed your family. But there was this booth, and Levi would say at his booth, I need four of your chickens, three for the Romans and one for me. And you didn't squawk, because if you did, those Roman soldiers would take all your chickens. So these tax collectors were hated, thrown out of the synagogue, and considered unfit to associate with decent people, and certainly on their way to hell. So again, the crowd must have wondered, what will Jesus say to this miserable wretch, Levi? Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi must have heard of Jesus' message of forgiveness and wondered, could this salvation be for me? Because as soon as Jesus says, follow me, Levi got up and followed him. In celebration of his rescue from sin and death, Levi throws a party. And this is where it gets real interesting. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, 
Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus is hanging out with the kind of people who have made bad choices. And you think, Jesus, what are you doing with them? And Jesus answers in such a beautiful way. Verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Imagine a world where before you could be admitted to a hospital, you would have to have a clean bill of health. A world where doctors won't see you if you're sick. Jesus is not excusing their sin. He says they're sick. To sick people, like you and me, he doesn't say, get healthy and then we'll talk. No, he's the great physician who has come to make us well. That is what Jesus taught and what he demonstrates here as he calls Levi. The the tragedy was the Pharisees thought they were healthy. They thought they had no need of this doctor. As Professor Wade Johnston puts it in his devotional commentary, they thought they were nailing this whole righteousness thing, that God was lucky to count them as his own. But God didn't count them as his own. God was sitting right there, eating with sinners, and they wanted nothing to do with him. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? It was an accusation. Why don't your disciples fast? The Pharisees were so pious, they fasted two days a week. Even John the Baptist's disciples fasted, probably as a sign of grief, since John was in prison. Jesus' answer put it all in perspective. He said, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. You wouldn't expect a wedding party to grieve when the bridegroom shows up. No, there is rejoicing. Jesus is that bridegroom, and his presence brings joy to his people, his bride. There will come a time when his presence will be taken away, and then his disciples, like the disciples of John, would mourn. Verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the new worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. In those days, if you were to patch an old garment with a piece of newly woven cloth and then wash it, that newly woven cloth would shrink, but the old material would not, and and so the garment would would tear at, at the seam. And if you would take new wine and put it into old wineskins that had already stretched out as far as they could, then when the new wine fermented, those old wineskins would burst. So, Jesus says, don't try putting something new into something old. 
The Old Testament ceremonial law with its system of sacrifices and dietary rules and not working on the Sabbath and so on, it all served its purpose. It pointed ahead to Christ. But now that Christ is here, the new has come. Let's not try to put new wine, the gospel, into old wineskins, the ceremonial law. It won't work. Verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? It's lunchtime. Jesus and his disciples walk into a field and make themselves a little snack out of what they could pick. What? Jesus breaking the law? If we're traveling and we pass an orchard and I say, pull over, and I run out and pick a couple of apples for us, what are you going to say to me? Exactly what the Pharisees said, right? Hey, that's breaking the law, that's stealing. And you'd be right. But the Pharisees weren't concerned about the disciples picking grain that belonged to someone else. You see, before Cracker Barrels and Subways at every exit, God had made provisions for travelers. In the book of Deuteronomy, he gives instructions that farmers were to allow travelers to pick some of their crop, and he set limits on how much those travelers were allowed to take. No, the Pharisees don't say, why are they stealing? They say, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, in the ceremonial law, God said, don't harvest on the Sabbath. Now, I suppose you could say the disciples were harvesting. But that would be like saying when you pound a peg into the ground for your croquet game on Sunday afternoon, you are tilling the soil. Rather than nitpicking about what is and what isn't work, Jesus takes the conversation to a much higher plane. He addresses what the Sabbath was really for. He calls their attention to something David did, recorded in 1 Samuel. Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave to his companions. David didn't say to his soldiers, Well, there's bread here, but you're going to have to starve because God says it's only for the priests. That would be missing the point of God's commandments. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Worship was never meant to be some sort of burden that man carries to prove that he loves God. Rather, it is God's gift to us. They had missed the point. They had turned the Sabbath into something they were doing for God instead of seeing the Sabbath as something God does for us. We can slip into the same attitude. We imagine that it is our prayers, our church attendance, our offerings, our service in the church that makes us good Christians. We could not be more wrong. In fact, that very attitude is a sin, and it poisons our relationship with God. It turns the Sabbath into a work day. Worship becomes work to earn our paycheck. No, 
The point is that we set aside time out of our busy schedules so that Jesus can give to us what he has prepared for us in word and sacrament. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, he invites us, and I will give you rest. What is your response when you see someone hurting? Compassion? Sympathy? Well, that was Jesus' response. But these religious leaders saw instead saw this man hurting as an opportunity. Would Jesus dare to heal him, to do work on a Sabbath day? Chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. This wasn't just going to be a healing. This was going to be a teaching moment. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. They didn't answer Jesus because they stubbornly refused to learn from him. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to them, I'm sorry, said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see, Mark uses Jesus' actions to show us the content of his teaching. Jesus taught that the Sabbath wasn't our serving God, but him serving us as we received the gift of his word. The word was standing in front of these religious leaders, and they refused to hear. Next week, we will explore what it means not just to know that Jesus is the Christ, but that he is my Christ. He is for me. We'll also consider the calling of the twelve why Jesus chose them, and what it means that he has chosen us. Until then, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.